All right, there we go. Hope you all had a good week. Good to see you. Um, thank you. Can we thank our worship team? And they're putting in some work today. Um, I hope you all had a, a very good week. I had uh, a, a few joy moments. It was a tough week, but I had a few joy moments that kept me going. One of them was um, the long-term friends uh, of Maggie and I, um, kind of our kids have grown up together here in the community. Uh, I coached I coached them when they were little eight-year-olds, you know, bobblehead football players, right? And back in that day, um, uh, this one particular mom got to know, she's an awesome mom, and talking to her and invited her to church, and she's like, oh, no, 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 I don't, I don't do church. That's, that's just weirdness to me. And she just made it very clear, just, we're going to keep that out of the conversation. I'm like, all right, cool. So years have passed, and I get a call from her this week, and, she, and her son uh, has been coming to our youth group. Wednesdays, and she just, go, he's a teenager now, obviously, and she calls him, she goes, what do you all do at the youth group? And that was a ton, I'm like, oh man, here we go. She goes, just found out my son's been going to the, your youth group. I want to know what do you all do there? And I just couldn't help myself, and my first response was, well, we give all the kids robes, and we sacrifice live animals and make them chant, and I just let it drop, and she's just like, shut up, what is going on over there, <laughs> So then we have like a 30-minute uh, conversation, and it was awesome, uh, as uh, we just talked about what we actually do at youth group and what's happening for her son, and at the end of it, she's like, my son's friend needs to go to that, so I'm going to tell him to go and talk to his mom about him going as well. And I said, all right, so I'll expect to see you at church on Sunday. She's like, oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. My heart, though, since that conversation, it was like on Thursday, has just been praying for her and praying for families. I, I actually, in my brain years ago, was like, she doesn't want you, God, and just kind of was nice to her and realizing, oh, my gosh. Thankfully, God didn't say that about her, and there's clearly something going on. I'm praying today that as we in, interact in the word today, that we will get a, a fire in our heart about the people around us who do not know the beautiful Jesus that we know uh, and partner with him. This past month, we've been defining our identity as a church. We're a church family of diverse stories, right? We're led by a team of diverse gifts. We're centered on the word with Jesus as our leader and our savior. We're sent into our city and we're sent into our world to represent Jesus and his kingdom, to push back darkness through courage, generosity, and this intimate partnership with the spirit of God. Can I get an amen for that? We've got three core values as a church. We love Jesus. We are absolutely in worship and surrender to Jesus as our savior and leader in our lives. Our second value is we love his church. We commit to each other, to building a covenant-type, family-type relationships with the church that Jesus has called us to. And finally, today, we're going to look at our third core value. We love this world. We love our city. We love our nation. We love our neighborhood. We love our schools and our workplaces. We love this world in a way that seeks to heal and to save and to build the kingdom of God in this world. We're a Jesus-centered church family on mission in every part of the world. Today we're going to talk through the mission. Amen? The scripture that we're going to, is going to anchor us today comes from 
2 Kings chapter 7. We're going to pick it up in the middle of a narrative, in the middle of a story. The context of what we're reading is that the king of Aram has mobilized his army to come and attack the city of Samaria. Their army is superior, so the people of Samaria just wall themselves inside the massive gates of Samaria. They don't want to go and fight the Aramean army on the fields. They just know they're going to get slaughtered. So the Aramean army just waits. They don't attack the walls. They just wait, and they refuse to let any food go inside the city. And they refuse to let anyone go outside of the city to get food. And over time, they just wait it out. And over time, it becomes tragically horrible. In the city, people are dying of starvation. And in their desperation, their survival, they begin to eat the heads of donkeys. They begin to eat the, the poop from the birds. And they even start to eat their dead babies. And this is where we pick up the narrative. We're on 2 Kings chapter 7. Uh, uh, and so if you are able, please stand to honor the reading of God's word. 2 Kings chapter 7, starting in verse 3. Now there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Why should we sit here waiting to die, they asked each other. We will starve if we stay here. But with the famine in the city, we will starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway. So at twilight, they set out for the camp of the Arameans. But when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaching. The king of Israel has hired the Hittites and Egyptians to attack us, they cried to one another. So they panicked and ran into the night, abandoning their tents, horses, donkeys, and everything else as they fled for their lives. When the lepers arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one tent after another, eating and drinking wine, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and hid it. Finally, they said to each other, this is not right. This is a day of good news, and we aren't sharing it with anyone. If we wait until morning, some calamity will certainly fall upon us. Come on, let's go back and tell the people at the palace. So they went back to the city and told the gatekeepers what had happened. We went out to the Aramean camp, they said, and no one was there. The horses and donkeys were tethered and their tents were all in order, but there wasn't a single person around. Then the gatekeepers shouted the news to the people in the palace. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for gathering us today. You are the center of our lives. You are what keep it all in order and, and give us hope and keep things good. You, Jesus, you are what gives us joy. You who perseveres with us, who forgives us, who offers us life day after day. Jesus, would you open up our hearts and minds right now to your word? We know that these words that were just read are not just words on a piece of paper or a screen. They are your words given to us with your spirit that we would know you that we would know your heart. So come and speak, Lord Jesus. We are listening. We pray all this in your name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, there are a lot of aspects of this story that I want to fill out. There are principles in this story that I want to highlight that is going to help 
define what do we mean when we say the third of the three core values of this church is that we are a people on mission to love our world. The first principle that I want to draw out from this text that we just read is that followers of Jesus, our worldview is that there is massive evil in our world. We are not naive to the reality of sin and rebellion and corruption in this world. Here in this ancient world that we're reading about, this is thousands and thousands of years ago, we read of such an atrocious evil and violence and poverty to where people are eating their own babies to survive. Now it has been thousands and thousands of years since the events that we read about in this Bible, but in our world is so much different, right, than this ancient world. There's been lots of changes, but the thing that has not changed is the presence of a very real evil that corrupts the heart of people. We are still a species. After all these years and all the technology and all the wisdom we have learned, we are still a species of great violence, great poverty, incredible greed and evil. We have a very real enemy that is always active. This worldview is the foundation of our identity as a missional people. And we've got to be clear that this evil is on all of us as a species. People are in great suffering today because of sin, because of the choices that they have made and the choices that other people have made towards them. That is why we suffer so much evil. We have refused to live in the way that God wants us to live. And so we hurt each other and we hurt ourselves. And the thing is, God is easily justified to just let us live with the consequences of our rebellion. But he's not evil. Praise God, he's so very good. He decided instead to come close to us when we rejected him. He lived among us, he died for us to unleash his powerful love and spirit on all who would receive him to cleanse us from our corruption, to help us live in his goodness. And then he made it clear that he is a God his identity is one that is always on mission to save and heal in the broken world that we live in. That's who he is. He's the one that's always trying to heal. And so we've been looking, if you've been with us for these last many months, we've been looking at the historical writings of the first churches of, of the followers of Jesus in the book of Acts, and we see so clearly that the core that Jesus set them up on was to be a people on mission. He told them, go to all parts of the world, take my spirit, take my love, help heal and save and rescue, rebuild entire cities in the DNA and in the values and the spirit and the power of me, the God of this universe. All right? He told them, build new communities where there is unity, where there is generosity, where there is kindness. He told them, tell people God is here. That in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your injustice, there is a God who cares and who is right here with you, ready to work in powerful ways. And this leads us to the second aspect of, of what this scripture in 2 Kings can show us of what does it mean when we say we are a people on mission. The first is that we understand that there is great evil in this world and we are not sitting around and letting it just tear things up. The second aspect See, these four lepers that we read about, they go out to this Aramean camp and they're in utter desperation. Did you, did you catch that? They realize that they're just absolutely stuck. They're on the outside of the city, on the gates. They're dying there. They realize if we go back into the city, we're going to die of starvation. 
If, so the only option we have is we just got to go to this enemy army and we got to just surrender and pray they don't kill us. If they kill us, there's nothing different. But maybe, maybe they will let us live and they have food, right? They go into the camp and they realize they did not even consider what they saw as an option. They realize there is a miracle that has happened from God. God has supernaturally come into, right, this evil that humans were doing to humans and caused the oppressive force to scatter and leave all their stuff behind. So all this oppressive army, they just ran as fast as they could. They left all the food and gold behind. And this here is at the heart of what we mean when we, are say, when we say we are going into the world to tell people about Jesus. We are going to tell the world that Jesus is alive and that he's working in the midst of their pain. We're telling people there's another narrative that is being worked out in the midst of the evil narrative. There is another reality going on in the midst of the reality that you can only see and experience. That there is a God that is around and he's working. He's working to give us a way out of pain, to give an option to write a different story if we want it. Now, the only way that we can help people see God in their lives is if we can see God in our lives. These four lepers, they utterly helped each other live in a greater faith than they would have had on their own. Did you catch that in the story? Uh, and, and Jesus, you see the same thing as we move to Jesus when he sets up the first churches. He calls very common, anonymous people to gather together to seek him in faith that in the midst of being persecuted, they can choose to live in faith. So that first community of Jesus, they committed to be together, not to just have this me and Jesus kind of a thing, but to commit to churches together to pursue Jesus. So they prayed together. They were in the world together. They obeyed the word together. And then in that place, their eyes were open and they saw the living God in their own midst, healing people in miraculous ways, melting rich people's hearts to be radically generous, bringing together people of different ethnic backgrounds to be a new family, right? They saw Jesus getting their persecuted leaders out of jail. They helped each other see Jesus in their pain, and then they share that genuine experience of Jesus with all who would listen. See, it wasn't academic to them. It wasn't a project to them. It wasn't, oh, well, we learned some truth and we're just going to tell people what we learned. No, we are experiencing Jesus. We are telling people what's happening in our lives, right? It wasn't some religious performance. It was this genuine, my life is being changed as I'm in a community of Jesus seekers. God is real. He's writing a new narrative in my life. And so I just want to tell everybody else there's another way to live. See, and this is how it all connects, right? You remember at the beginning of the year, 2021, it's crazy that we're almost at the end of 2021, we talked about helping each other enter into a rhythm of life, a new way that we order our life so that in real time, we are experiencing Jesus day in and day out, that we are changing the natural way we live our life, that we change our instincts of what do we do when we get up to what do we do when things get hard to what do we do when we hang out with our family, to how do we end our days? We're trying to help each other. How can we get off of this treadmill that just keeps taking us to the same garbage day after day and get into this new narrative so where I can experience Jesus in all aspects of my life? And 
then we share that with the world. I've been uh, recently reading about this really inspiring small community of Jesus followers who live this out, have been still, it's been about 40 years, they've been living this out in an area of Hong Kong called the Walled City. So in Hong Kong, there's an area called the Walled City where, for a bunch of complicated reasons, nobody had really kind of wanted to take ownership of this city, so there was no like government or police presence within this city. They call it the Walled City. So it was the area where you, everybody could go to do all the bad they wanted to do, and there was no police, there was no nothing. And so it became like Las Vegas times 100. So it became, you want to do drugs, you go there. Prostitution, you go there. You want to steal and, you know, all this. I mean, everything, it's just like this concentrated place. And it's like, you go outside this walled city, you're going to get busted. So we'll just stay in here. And it just became a place of great poverty and pain. And so some Jesus followers said, hey, Jesus, he's the one that wants to heal and save. Let's go. And so they... They, they, they started going and, and they'd be in the city and know people. And so they saw all these street kids, all these kids living on the street, just from all ages. And so they did what you kind of normally think, do. Well, let's, let's do something. Let's feed the kids. And they created like a youth center and let's do things with the kids. But they realized that the drug addiction was so bad. The kids were addicted. We're talking like heroin every day, uh, op- opium every day. I mean, it was just like massive amounts of drug addiction. And they were like, this is just not enough at all. And so then they're asking God, what do we do? And God leads them to a little group where they, they, they well, other Christians who are praying in the spirit. Not just like praying like, okay, Lord, help these kids, amen. We're talking like pressing in to the spirit of God for over an hour and learning how to pray in tongues. Now, we haven't talked about praying in tongues a lot here but it's, we believe that this, the scripture is clear on it, that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for all the body of Christ, and that there is a way that when you press into God, that he just gives you this, this kind of experience where you're just in the spirit and you're praying in a language that doesn't make sense, like it's not English or Spanish or Mandarin. It's just, you're just talking, but you're connecting with the spirit of God. Um, and uh, it's, it's a powerful gift. I use it, you know, the scripture says, use it to personally edify yourself. Uh, it's a it's a it's not something that the scripture says you don't you don't just kind of do it in like a church setting because it can be confusing to people but you learn how to do it so that when you're down you you just learn how to pray in this it's a it's a prayer of the emotions and it's a prayer of the spirit you don't activate your mind you don't think what do i say to god you just get going with god and he is just there and you're in that and so they learned this like oh my gosh and so then they started bringing this to all these teenagers and young men and women who were uh, you know, hooked on drugs, and they started praying over them in tongues. Their first one, they prayed over somebody in tongues, and the dude was instantly sobered, like in the hour of prayer, and then had no cravings and was done, and no pain of withdrawal. If you all know heroin, if you're on it every day to try to get off that stuff, is torturous. And what they would do, they'd have these drug rehab centers, right, where the doctors would give other drugs to help in the withdrawal period because the pain is so helpful, but they, they just weren't seeing enough working. So then they see this, and they get really excited. Then they start teaching. They start bringing, he brings, you know, more friends that this one guy that got healed. They start teaching the, the, the folks coming off how to pray in, in the spirit on their own. And so these folks would be starting to come off. They'd feel all the pain, and they start praying in the spirit in the tongues, and then they would go away. And they needed nothing but this. And it started to become this growing movement to where now, if you're familiar with Hong Kong, the triad gangs, you all familiar with that? Like it's, you know, it's been in the movies a lot. 
massive. It's kind of like the mafia. So it gets to the point where the dude who is like the highest up in the whole region of Hong Kong starts... Uh, the, 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 the one lady who's running the whole thing realized this dude is protecting her. And she's never met him, and she doesn't understand what's going on. But some people have tried to do stuff to her, and they can't. And she's, they're, they're telling the streets, uh, I got his name right here. He, he has ordered. And so she demands a meeting with him, and she can't get it. And she keeps demanding, 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 demanding it. And finally, she gets this meeting. And listen, I'm going to read you an excerpt. Listen to what happens at the meeting with the, the guy in charge of the whole triads or the whole region. They, they're sitting down. Uh, and it says, at the beginning, they're just small talk. And she says, we carried on conversation pleasantries until I blurted out, I wish you wouldn't be so polite. Please, let's stop pretending. You and I have nothing in common. Why are you being so kind to me? His name is Goko. Goko paused. I believe you care about my brothers like I do. And he was not using idle words, she says, for he was famous for the care he took of his followers. Yes, I do care about them. I agreed, but you and I can have no union. I hate everything you stand for, and I hate what you do. He's a very violent, he's a very violent man and very violent activities. It was strange, she says, but now, as in future meetings with Goko, the more bluntly I spoke, the more he responded. He dropped the polite frills and began to speak straight. Poon Su Jay, as he's talking to her, you and I both understand power. I use this way, and he clenched his fist. And you use this way, and he pointed to his heart. You have a power that I don't have. If my brothers get hooked on drugs, I have them beaten up. I don't want them on heroin, and I found I can't make them quit. But I've watched you, and I believe Jesus can. He paused to light a cigarette while I marveled at the significance of what he had just said. So, he continued, I've decided to give the addicts to you. No, I replied quickly, you can't do that. I know what you want to do. You want Jesus to get them off drugs, and then you want them back to work to fight for you. But Christians can't serve two bosses. They have to follow either Christ or you. I believe you love your brothers, but you and I are walking different paths and can have no meeting point. I have no intention of helping your brothers off drugs only for you to take them back. They will certainly go back to heroin if they follow you. Goko stared down at the table. This woman is a bold woman. Can I just say this right now? Goko stared down at the tablecloth. He looked up slowly. All right then. I give up my right to those who want to follow Jesus. Never before had I heard an offer because to try and leave the triads was a death sentence. And she's saying, I'm shocked at what this means. And he interrupted my thoughts. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you all my rotten brothers and I'll keep all the good ones for myself. Fine, I said. Jesus came for the rotten ones anyways. And then he says, I'll be watching. And if certain people convert, I will as well. And I mean, it goes on. This is amazing. Right? And this is the point. See, um, the, 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 the point being is that we are a people set apart on this earth to bring the spirit of God into the issues. 
We are to tackle him on all levels. We use our best wisdom. We get our best programs and our wisdom, and we tackle all the things, the systemic stuff and everything. But in the end, if we do not bring the Spirit of God, we will not bring salvation on the whole level. We are a people that is called together to learn how to experience God here and now for us, and then we give that away. Now, here's the most challenging part. Got me there? Here's the most challenging part of being a missional people. When you give your life to Jesus, you're going to receive blessings from Jesus. Like these lepers, you're going to have many days when you are in awe of how many good things you have been given. An abundance of food, of grace, of healing, of healthy relationships, freedom, freedom from addictions, freedom from dysfunctional ways of reacting to stress and trauma. As the scripture says, you're born again in the spirit of God and you live differently. I think we all can have a testimony. See, we all have pain and struggles, and they're never going to go away in our life. Just because you follow Jesus doesn't mean you get out of suffering, right? Not until we completely cross into heaven. But sometimes, those of us who have been following Jesus for a long time, we forget how much better our lives are. Now that we know how to go to Jesus with our pain and suffering. We're not as self-destructive as we used to be. Can I get an amen about that? You know what I mean? That's all Jesus, by the way. You're not patting yourself on the back, right? And you know, see, when you live with Jesus, even if it's in a basic way, maybe you come from a Christian family and you, or you, you've been, and, and you live out the basic values of the faith, whatever, a lot of Christians, they might do better financially because now it might not be like, don't believe the TV preachers, everybody gets rich. But I'm just saying like, oh, I'm not wasting my money on stupid stuff like I used to, so I'm doing a little bit better. I, you know, whatever that is, uh, but see, here's what I see over and over again. And I see it in my own heart, the struggle. Over time, we turn all these blessings from God into idols. We get so consumed with all that we're receiving that we just want to keep receiving. Right? The obvious example is money and wealth. Right? The story of the mission of God. If you look, I like to study the history of the church from Jesus to now 2,000 years. And you'll see it. The history is, right, people are struggling. A whole community is struggling in poverty. And then... Somebody comes in and shares that Jesus loves them and people start to change and it's a ripple effect and all of a sudden there's, there's more wealth, right? People aren't throwing their money away in, in crazy ways and there's more stability. And there's this great worship of Jesus because there's such a clear, he saved me. And then what has happened? Then the next generation, they get a different message from their parents than their parents got from their parents. And so now the next generation has even more wealth because they started a little bit better and they're still going to church but it's not quite as much fire. And then the third generation has a little bit more wealth, and then pretty soon, you've got the generations who have lost the worship and fire for Jesus, and they've turned the wealth into their savior. That comfort and materialism and doing things and traveling and entertainment and all these things becomes what I'm actually consumed about, and I'll still go to church because my grandparents told me that Jesus saved our whole family from destruction but I, my, my grandparents, they were pretty crazy about God. You know, they were those crazy God people. And I'm just a good person, but I love my stuff. And then God, who slowly will just remove his hands when we do not want his involvement, all of a sudden, then everything starts to be destroyed by pride. And the drink, and the comfort seeking, and the destroyed marriages, and the corrupt business practices, and the dysfunctional systems of government, and the new philosophies and ideologies about our way of uh, about living that are completely far from the truth. 
People with wealth need to hear, heed the verse 9 in our text when it, they say, finally they said to each other, this is not right. This is a day of good news and we aren't sharing with anyone. If we wait until morning, some calamity will certainly fall upon us. Come, let's go back and tell the people who are starving. We have to help each other stay with that fire to share with the world. And many of you might hear go, I'm not wealthy. Let me tell you, you're probably more wealthy than you were when you and your family did not follow Jesus. And it's not just stuff and money. There's also, when you really jump in and do the new way of life with Jesus, you have better friendships. Right? Friendships. I mean, that alone, how many of us had those moments in our life where the only way we could really go there with friends is we were drunk? That was sort of the way we could get there. That was the excuse in case I... I shared stuff that was embarrassing. And now all of a sudden we're in a Christian community where there is no judgment and there is safety and there is compassion and we can share this stuff, right? Uh, but then all of a sudden we, we take this blessing from God of these new friendships and we don't share. We just start to hang out in the holy huddle and we just hang around each other. And while there's all these people who are dying out, out with loneliness, superficiality, we have found the food and we forget that there's a lot of hungry people over there. We can say the same thing for just wisdom in general of how to live your life. To have access to the book of Proverbs alone is a grace from God, how to order your life in wisdom. Healthier marriages, not perfect marriages, healthier marriages, right? Healthier relationships between children and parents. What about the inner joy of just finding the purpose for what you were created for? A relationship with the living God to walk you through seasons of struggle eternal security and real hope for when you die. The ability to receive forgiveness every day instead of carrying around shame and guilt. All of the blessings of God are meant to be shared, church. Always shared. And when it's just about me and about me and about me. Usually the people who are the best missionaries are the most humble people. Here in our ancient story, it's four lepers, unclean people who are cast out of society. In the New Testament, Jesus calls young blue-collar workers who were utterly anonymous in their city. The most famous person in the early church was Paul, but the Lord, before he even let Paul touch his church, had to literally smack him off of his animal that he was riding, blind him, humble the heck out of him, and then, all right, now you're ready to go. <laughs> you know what I mean? Humble. Missional churches are humble churches. We are a people who know that every good thing we have in this life has been given to us by Jesus. We know that we are sick and we're fragile, that we're selfish, that we're moody, we're fearful, and only the spirit of Jesus causes us to live for other people. See, prideful people, and there's a bunch of prideful religious posers in the church, I'm talking about the church in general, they believe that they've earned all of their blessings from God. Prideful people, they come upon the food and the treasure and they say, well... Too bad for everyone else. Obviously, God meant this for me because I made the right choices, because I chose to live righteously, because I am such a good boy or good girl. When Jesus calls us to be a missional community, it is for the healing and rescuing of people who are caught in the spiral of evil, but ultimately it's also the prescription of health for us that we would share so calamity doesn't fall upon us, so that we don't go, man, look at all this extra money I have. Let me just keep spending it on me and me and me and my, my blood family, just my blood family, and go, whoa, 
oh, who have you become? We are sick people telling other sick people where the medicine is. We are beggars telling other beggars where the food is. Church, we just need to ask Jesus to keep healing our self-centered hearts that we would live for other people to find the same treasure that we have found. We cannot be comfortable just sitting in our blessings while people are starving to death. And so as we choose to heed this word, we will live on mission with Jesus. We're going to actually receive more life than if we just did our own little thing. It's a grace. Love Jesus. Make him your covenant treasure. Love his church and build real family centered on the values of God in a broken world. And then give it. And the way we want to give it, be missional people, is twofold. We want to be a church that helps every individual in the church understand your, your unique mission in your life, your stage of life, your personalities, your family situation, your work situation. How does God, how has he wired you to actually be the one that represents him to the people around you in the way that he's wired you to do so? To be the one that represents Jesus in his generosity and his love and his and his kindness. How to, right? Every, every one of us has our own personalized, unique, missional plan, and we're built for that. But then we also want to be a church that does this together. Because together we do more, right? Together we actually can represent Jesus even in more places, in more ways. That is why not only do we do things together as New Life Community Church, but we have an association of churches Hope Community Church in East L.A., Epicenter Church in West L.A., Epicenter Church in Pasadena. We come together to do larger things. Because Jesus is healing and saving in every sphere. He wants people to know him and receive his grace. And he wants, and he wants to have a real relationship with people. But he also wants people to literally stop starving to death. He wants people to stop worrying about whether they're getting kicked out of their apartment. He wants people to have the government system that doesn't oppress them. Right? And so that's why I chose this Second Kings passage to remind us that God's heart is to alleviate suffering in every sphere. He eliminates oppressive forces. He literally feeds people. And then he brings character and transformation in these lepers in terms of real relationship with God. Right? So at church, we're always seeking the mission on all levels. And that's why we do it together. That's why we are in this together. So that's why we pray together. That's why we give financially together that we can collectively use our finances for the work of the mission outside of the church. And that's why we go. That's why we have short-term trips where we go and partner with churches all over the world to help in their locale and to receive from them. We are constantly on mission. Church, COVID has changed the whole ballgame for churches in America. You know, I remember, if you remember, during COVID, I was saying, hey, man, when COVID finally breaks, we got to be ready. People are going to be hungry because they have been in their houses. They have been dealing with fear, unrest. They're uncertain, and they're going to be hungry for God. I was wrong. Actually, it's been the opposite. People coming out of COVID are hungry for more entertainment, more sex, just more just fun, more just trying to just survive, give their own life. Churches across America, now we've got enough time, we've figured it out, there's been 35 to 40% decline in every, all the churches across America. No, incline, no increase, decline. That's where we are at in a realistic way. And it's, it's a disturbing deal because 
there's so many reasons why people are not going to church anymore, right? Some of it because some churches have aligned themselves with a political party that is oppressive and broken, and they're just playing politics, putting on the little shine of Jesus, and so people have left going, that ain't real. But then there are the churches that are just centered on Jesus, really trying to follow him, and people are going because there's just this been consumption of stuff. And I mean, we've all been tempted with it. It was like, hey, COVID, let's go just do stuff. We all got used to watching church on TV, Sunday mornings or whenever we want. And so now it's like, oh, well, I got other things on Sundays, right? Life groups, right? All these things. We have to realize that we as a church, it is now time to activate to get into the mission, to bring people into relationship with Jesus. We can't just sit around and just be like, well, well, hey, you know what? Some people are not here. Too bad for them. We got God. That's not the deal. We've got to help each other. We've got to help. We have to ask the Lord for the Spirit of God that is more excited and consumed with a friend who is starting to be interested in God than any other aspect of our lives. Or as much. That when God, we've got to ask God for that spirit that says, God, let me see the people around me and see who's hurting, see who's needing the things of you. And let me just try to get in there and represent you and talk to them and invite them. See, you don't need any training to just invite people, right? Uh, let me tell you, if you're wondering now, every new person that comes to this church has said, this is the most hospitable, loving, I feel so welcome here. Your friends and your family, they might not want to stay because everybody's got to choose where they're at with Jesus, but they will, they will feel loved here. Our life groups are awesome. Smaller groups where people can come in and really just talk, talk their things out, get the word, get some prayer. We've got to be a people that invite. It is a new day. We have got to go out. People are stuck in these walls, and they're just surviving. And we've got to be the ones that take the risk to go and then realize there is God. And now let's go get people. Bring them back. Worship team, come on back up. This last few weeks as we've been in this series, as I've been praying with people, I've been getting different pictures, but there's been one that keeps coming up. And it's... Um, it's this picture of a cactus. You know those really thick cactuses that have all those spikes, man, and you don't want to go near it. I mean, that thing looks like it'll just, you know, <laughs> put you in the hospital. It's one of those thick guys. That they, it's self-contained. It's got all of its water inside. It can handle all the elements. It keeps everybody out. And in this image, I see Jesus coming up to it and just starting, and he's bloody as he's just pulling the stickers out. And he's, as he pulls them out, then he starts to rub down that harsh surface, and it starts to become like green, lush uh, plants with flowers that start to bloom. And there's a transition that happens where it's like the, the, it goes from kind of I'm just by myself, surviving on my own, containing myself, not letting anybody in, including God, to the Lord just transforming it to be someone that is a little bit more vulnerable to the elements because it's putting itself out there but it's got flowers for the bees to feed on and it's got a beautiful green to invite people into life and it's free that's the transition in somewhere or other I think that we all have to ask Lord to make for us that we would just be a people that say yes Jesus help me not to be so consumed with the survival of myself and my blood family that I would begin to just let you transform me the hard work of following you that I could be given to the people who are looking for, for, for anything to help them. And I'm telling you, that is going to be for your good as well.
as well as other people's. Stand with me, church. We're going we're gonna to respond to God. We're going to worship God. We're going to take a time to just love on Him for how much He's given us, that He has called us lepers into a feast, even though we don't deserve it. And then, after we sing, we're going to pray together before we close. And I'm just going to give us like uh, prompts to pray, because what you pray for is where your heart starts to grow. If you only pray for yourself, that's all you're going to be focused on. But if you start to pray for people outside of yourself, then your heart, the Spirit of God, starts to give you a greater heart for them. We don't wait until we feel it to pray. We just go, you know what? Jesus says to care for other people and to get on mission. I'm just going to start praying. And then I'll let my feelings catch up. So we're going to just intercede together. After we sing, I'm going to just give us a topic. Give us 30 seconds. You're just going to pray for that topic. I'm going to give you another topic, and we're just going to pray together. Come, Lord Jesus. You are so good. We deserve, God, to die in our sickness. We deserve it. Oh, we'll have a good moment or two with you. But we know, God, as we look in that mirror, that we are so self-focused that we are ashamed of you in many places. We just outright reject you in some places. We take the gifts you give us and we worship them more than we worship you. God, we're sorry. God, come and heal us. We thank you, Jesus, that you forgive immediately, that you are not like us, that you do not hold grudges, you do not hold resentment. That you do not, you're not the I told you so. You're not the, oh, I'll just give, I'm just going to have a silent treatment for a week. You just love us. You are a God that's like, as soon as we turn to you, you're like, finally, I want to just embrace you. Finally, you and I are going to do this together. Finally, you're here with me. God, let us feel that love. Feed us your grace right now. As we sing to you, just let your spirit fall in this room that we would have our eyes open to how good you are. Drive out shame, Lord Jesus. Drive out guilt, Lord Jesus. Drive out the instinct to self-punish, Lord Jesus. None of it is from you. Help us to receive the love that you have for us. Spirit, fall in this place that we would be so overjoyed. We would be so overwhelmed by love that we would just want to give it away that we would have our eyes open to the feast of love that you have before us without conditions, without performance, without all the good grades and all the great, that you would just see that you're, we are your children, that you love your children, that we're your family, that you die for us every day, that you just want our hearts. You don't need our perfection. You just want our hearts. Help us to worship you for your goodness and your love and your consistency and your endurance with us. You are good, Jesus. Oh, you're so good. Hear our praises. Come, Spirit. Come, Spirit of the living God. Consume us as we sing to you.